to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you ever wonder if you've been traumatized by something that happened to you? Or have you ever gone through something that you think is traumatic, but you aren't quite sure if you've been affected by it? Or maybe you know you have post-traumatic stress disorder, or at the very least, you likely know someone who does. Those are some of the things we're talking about today. How trauma impacts you and what to do about it. My guest is Katie Morton. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who has a private practice in Santa Monica, California. She's been sharing mental health tips on social media for several years, and she's gained over 1 million followers on YouTube. She's written a new book called Traumatized, Identify, Understand, and Cope with PTSD and Emotional Stress. And some of the things she talks about on today's episode are the different reactions people can have to traumatic circumstances, how childhood trauma can impact us, and the steps we can take to manage our symptoms if we've been traumatized. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist's take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Katie's mental strength building strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Katie Morton on how healing from past trauma can help you grow mentally stronger. Katie Morton, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I am thrilled to talk to a fellow therapist and one who wrote this amazing book called Traumatized. As we both know, the Most of the people that walk into our therapy offices have gone through some type of trauma, but it's not just people in therapy who've been traumatized. I think the statistic is something like 70% of people. Does that sound right? It is. I think it's, yeah, it's around 70%. I would argue, I think I might even say this in the book, that we've all been traumatized in some way. We just, we either have a high level of resilience or we don't recognize it. Let's talk for a minute about that resilience because we know maybe... Two people could be in the same car that gets in an accident. One person walks away thinking, wow, that wasn't a big deal or I'm just grateful to be here. Somebody else walks away and maybe they have nightmares. Maybe they have a lot of symptoms and they are struggling to deal with the trauma. Can you talk a little bit about how we all respond to a traumatic experience a little bit differently? Yeah, everybody, unfortunately and fortunately, we're kind of born with a certain level of resilience. And when we use the term resilience, it's really like, our ability to weather life storms and come out okay. And that means that, you know, sometimes we can have these like crappy days, right? We get up late, we're out of our coffee, we didn't realize, our our kid maybe is sick, like there's a lot going on and we're okay, we can still get to work. We're like, okay, and we just plug through. Other times we might cry in the car on the way there. We might have to call in sick. We're like, I just can't do this. I feel too overwhelmed, right? We've all had those days. I'll even raise my hand like I've had those days where you're just overwhelmed and it seems like nothing's going right. Now, it's going to depend on that resilience. And I like to always talk about like our vulnerability to our emotions. And that's how I know where my level of resilience is, meaning like it do, do small things set me off? Do I feel completely like really held down or held back by the things that are going on? Or do I feel okay managing it? And we see this play out a lot in siblings where one, like we grew up in the same household, but one struggles maybe with addiction or has a lot of mental health issues. And the other one's like 
seems completely unscathed. And the person who's struggling is like, what's wrong with me? How come I'm having such a hard time? And the truth is we're born with some level of it. Some of us have more. Like I, my sister-in-law is wonderful at getting extra support. She has this huge friend group that she has like put together. She takes self-care days. She makes sure she gets enough sleep. Like she doesn't, she's not perfect by any means. I don't want anybody to think I'm, you know, it's like, but she, she feeds herself. She sleeps. She does all of the basic things. And she has this huge network of friends that help support her. And that serves her well. So when life is crappy, she can lean on them and feel okay. Now, some of us struggle, right? We might be more introverted. Making friends might be hard. We might struggle to know hunger, fullness. Maybe we have eating issues. Maybe sleep has been difficult. We have insomnia, right? All of the things that we can deal with can make us more vulnerable to our emotions and lower that resilience. And so some of us are going to have to work a little harder to build it. I think of it like a muscle, you know, like the first time you do Pilates, you're like, wait, what? I didn't know I had a muscle there and it already hurts, right? And that's kind of like when we're first trying to build this resilience and first try to start. And so really without getting too into the weeds, that's why different people can come out of situations feeling completely differently. One feeling traumatized, one not, is because the one that didn't essentially just had more more built up in a like a bank account of resilience where the other, we might already be in debt. Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about what qualifies as a traumatic experience? I hear a lot of people say things like, my kid got a B in math class and they were traumatized, mm. but they were actually traumatized. We use that word in, in a way that isn't really what it means. Can you explain what qualifies as a traumatic event and, and the types of things that actually cause us to be traumatized sometimes? Yeah, of course. And I, people are using it incorrectly. A, a B is not traumatizing. Um, <laughs> trauma right. is anything that is too much for our system to process in the moment. And this can be happening to us or it can be happening to someone else. In the book, I talk a lot about how social media has made us more vulnerable to being traumatized because we can share in experiences with people that we feel like we know, even though maybe we've never met them. And that connectivity, while there are positives, obviously, to social media, it can also lead us down that that system overwhelm, right? When we can't process, we don't have enough resilience. We we feel like our overall well-being is threatened. We can become traumatized. Does that make sense? It does, you know, and I think that we learned, we've learned a lot about it over the years. It used to just be, you had to have the firsthand experience mm-hmm. of a near-death experience or something like that. But we learned from 9-11, just watching TV, a lot of people experience the same symptoms as if they had gone through a life or death experience personally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's hard, right? And we feel empathy is a real thing, right? We feel for other people and I'm sensitive to that stuff too. Watching, I can't watch too much of the news or I get too upset by it, you know? And I think protecting yourself a little bit is one way to kind of protect your resilience and to protect yourself from potential traumas. Being very careful about what we allow ourselves to digest can, can help us. And so we know that some people walk away from a traumatic incident and maybe they have some stress for a while, they have some issues, but they get resolved. Other people develop PTSD. How do you know if you have PTSD? Really, it's, I mean, diagnostically speaking, and I'm not a huge fan of our diagnostic tools. I think they're limiting in some ways. It can be like square peg, round hole. But diagnostically speaking, you have like six months to have what we call like acute stress disorder. So that's when you, like you're saying, like you walk away and you're you're stressed out. You might still feel, let's say it was a car accident. Getting in a car still gives you that kind of anxiety and you feel that rise in maybe your blood pressure and stuff like that. That's very normal. 
then after six months, if it's continuing and probably getting worse where we're unable to sleep, we feel some of the symptoms of like hypervigilance, where it's when we're just completely on edge and everything in our environment can set us off and we can feel like things are happening to us again that are harmful, like being re-traumatized. If you are struggling with what is known as dissociation, which is when we can be removed from self or removed from environment. And that's like the best way I can describe that to people who don't understand what dissociation is, is like, have you ever driven home and not remembered how you got there? And you're like, oh, I was just on autopilot. Yep. And you kind of are, it's like a low grade dissociation. It's like, I've, I'm just zoning out to the max. And that zoning out when it comes to dissociation is actually protective. Our brain is like, holy moly, this is too much for me to process. Pull the ripcord. And it pulls us out enough that we can get through it and be okay. It's really like life-sustaining, right? Or life-preserving. But if you find yourself struggling to stay present, struggling to to form memories, like, oh, I don't know what happened a couple of days ago. It's all splotchy in my memory. You know, you might want to let a mental health professional know about that. So to go back to the symptoms like hypervigilance, if we're avoiding certain things that remind us of that so much so that it's making our life difficult, right? Like anything around cars or noise. So I find myself like wanting to withdraw in an Airbnb in the middle of nowhere, maybe. Um, You know, if we find ourselves not wanting to be around certain people, places, things that bring that up, struggling to sleep, changes in our appetite, uh, the dissociation or any thoughts of suicide, obviously, those can all be part of the PTSD diagnosis. And I always tell people, that we don't have to wait until we check all the boxes. That's not what I'm saying. If you're struggling with any symptoms of this, please talk to someone because the sooner we start talking about it, actually the better it gets. And the longer we wait, the more intense the symptoms can get. And everyone's going to experience it differently. Some people experience one or two, some people experience all. It doesn't mean one's worse or better than the other. It just means that that's just how you're processing and that's how your nervous system and brain are trying to cope. I'm glad you brought that up, that it does look different in different people. I've worked with some people who, after an accident, avoided, say, driving over a bridge because that was too too scary for them. So uh, this woman I worked with who said, well, for years, I just haven't driven over bridges. I go way out of my way if I have to. I don't go to certain places. And that sort of managed her symptoms, yet mm-hmm. it affected her life because she couldn't do a lot of things. If she couldn't get across the bridge, she's like, oh, I just can't go to that part of town or I have to avoid this or... or uh, you know, again, I'll spend hours driving around to avoid driving over a bridge. But I've worked with other people who sort of became reckless when they had PTSD. Yeah. They uh, you know, started doing some things that they wouldn't normally do. And they didn't know what was going on. They just said, now I'm doing all of these things that uh, a few years ago I wouldn't have dreamed of doing. But here I am, look completely different. Yet same, both of them were experiencing PTSD. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of reasons not to get too nerdy about it, but there's a lot of reasons we we know that happens. Like impulsivity can be a component of PTSD because if you think about it, if something's happened to you that harmed you, and let's say because of shame and guilt and embarrassment that can be wrapped up in abuse and things like that, we can feel like we were a part of it and we made a choice. I hear from a lot of my patients and viewers all the time, like, well, but I went back and I knew it was harmful and like thinking that they are in some way responsible for the abuse they sustained. I'm here to tell you, you're not. The other person chose to harm you and that's on them 100%. But that it's confusing, right? And it's hard for us to make sense of. And so when we can't make sense of things, we attribute it to ourselves and we think it must be me. And then we think, well, I can't really trust my own judgment because it's leading to these painful experiences. So I'm just going to I'm just going to be reckless or I don't even care anymore because nothing seems to make it better, right? We can get that kind of 
I mean, we've all had little versions of that in our life. And if you just try to put that into the like trauma model of like what's happened, it, it makes sense to me. Not to mention that in our brain, we know when we're in our stress response, which is like fight, flight, that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, people call it now, but that stress response for a long period of time, our limbic system and mainly our amygdala, which is like this little kind of bean shaped, it's in our midbrain, like in the center of your brain. It's like our fire alarm. It sounds the alarm. It's like, we're under threat. Like if a a toddler's throwing a tantrum, they're like all amygdala, right? It is like firing. Um, When that happens, our body readies us for action and it shuts off our prefrontal cortex. That prefrontal cortex is what I call like the adult in our brain. That's like, maybe we should plan this out. Let's have some organized thought. Let's put together some words about what's going on so we can talk to people so we can make this okay. That's offline and we're just all instinct. And so of course that can lead to us acting in ways that frankly aren't, we aren't ourselves. And can you speak to what the difference is between PTSD and complex PTSD? Yeah, that's a great question. And complex PTSD, unfortunately, again, it isn't in the DSM. It is in the ICD-11, which if anybody's wondering, like, what are these acronyms? They're just diagnostic tools that are used in different parts of the world and with insurances and coverage and things like that. But uh, complex PTSD is essentially when we have multiple traumas. And I know a lot of people want to rank traumas. And in the book, I talk about like big T traumas, little T traumas meaning that we can ha- we always think of traumas like I'm going to war or I've been in this accident. Well, a trauma can be I went through a divorce and I moved a lot as a child or I was bullied for a year in school. Those are still traumas. And um, the way my, my friend Alexa, Dr. Alexa Altman, she's a trauma specialist. She gave me a blurb to use in the book. She describes those traumas like waves and we can have a tsunami of a wave that washes us out, or we can have like five or six back-to-back large waves that slowly we lose our footing and we're pulled out all the same. Now, for those of us with complex PTSD, it's those repeated waves, and they can be any size. It, there's no judgment. It's not a more intensive. It, there's no, I don't want anybody to think that these are like real traumas and not real traumas. They're all traumas. They just are experienced differently by different people. And those repeated waves are what leads to complex PTSD, having trauma after trauma. And the way that we kind of differentiate it when it comes to like behaviors or symptoms we can have, the biggest one for me um, in my with my patients, and I'd love to get your take too, is really the emotion regulation component and how that affects our relationships. Now, sure, people with PTSD can can lash out and be kind of angry or aggressive when they're triggered. But those of us with complex PTSD, it's it's just more pervasive than that. It tends to happen at a lot of different times and we don't always have to be triggered. We just struggle to regulate and struggle to trust ourselves. We can feel like we don't know who we are and we're not sure how to make decisions. It's really, when we have repeated traumas, it really erodes our sense of self and our ability to to make decisions. And I see it affecting how people see the world or how they mm-hmm. see themselves in the world, thinking, yes. well, what's next? And once they have several bad things happen, they just start to wait to see what's the next traumatic thing that's going to happen to me. And it's hard to get through life like that if you're always on edge waiting for something bad to happen. Agreed, 100%. And you can feel like you have that sign on your back, like, traumatize me, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just keeps happening. Yeah. Uh, and what about when we're traumatized as kids? How does that affect us differently, maybe, than if we're traumatized as an adult? As children, unfortunately, when we're traumatized as children, it usually, not always, but usually happens at the hands of our caretaker, like our primary caregiver, meaning like mother, father, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, you know, whoever was supposed to take care of us. And when 
those people are supposed to be there to care for us and to support us, right? And as children, it's our like knee-jerk reaction to turn to them for comfort and support. But if that person is instead harming us, it can it can be very, very confusing and detrimental to our development as a whole. Now, it's not to say we can't reverse these these issues, but I just want people to know what it can cause. So development in the brain, like we're talking about the different areas of the brain that are more are functioning more, firing on all cylinders, like the amygdala or limbic system, part of our, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what the other one, like uh, adrenal glands. There's a lot of different parts of our brain and our body that can be triggered when we're in that stress response. And other parts go underdeveloped, like our prefrontal cortex. And what that leads to is, I mean, it can go in a lot of different ways, but difficult, like not trusting our environment and our world, kind of like what you said, Amy, that that step on point. It also can make us struggle in relationships because we don't know who we are a lot of times because we haven't had a safe place to develop that. We can get into people-pleasing behavior. That's like that fawning where when we're we're growing up and we're being abused, we think, oh, again, because we don't understand, doesn't make sense. Abuse doesn't make sense. So we try to make sense with what we know. We're like, I must have done something. So I need to be perfect and do it just right so it doesn't happen again. And that can follow us in our life where we struggle to to tell people no and to have healthy boundaries so we can find ourselves in like enmeshed and codependent relationships. And it overall, it just, it, it, it slows. Cause I don't want to say again, we can always heal from this, but it slows our understanding of who we are, our understanding of the world and our ability to safely develop a healthy sense of self. And those are really the things that I think most of my audience members and my, my patients alike have told me is like, that's what hurts the most is that sense of self and feeling like I don't know who I am. I don't know how I feel because I've never been in a safe enough place to be able to put time and energy into that. I've always been in like survival mode, right? And I think that that a lot of my, especially my viewers tell me how frustrating it can be when you're trying to recover because you're like, this is taking forever. And I'm always like, remember, this didn't happen overnight. It won't be healed overnight, but we can slowly through neuroplasticity, meaning our brain can change and we can learn, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> it's like we can overcome it and we can figure out who we are slowly but surely, just like everybody else had the opportunity to do, right? As we grew, you can have that opportunity now. And I hope I answered your question there. I feel like I can, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, no, you answered it perfectly because I think as kids, when we're growing up, we don't know it. And a lot of times we don't recognize it as abuse until much later on. And by then, we can kind of connect the dots and it's easier to put things together and think, oh, maybe that's why I am the way that I am, or that's why I struggle with certain issues. So for some people, I think later in life, it's a little bit of a relief. And, but as you say, it's difficult to, to work on those issues, but definitely possible. Another thing that I find fascinating is the idea of transgenerational trauma. You don't even necessarily have to be traumatized firsthand in order to experience a lot of the symptoms. Speak about that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, of course. And, and that's, it was really interesting to research this because I'd, I'd experienced, I shared in the book, like a little story about like my great grandmother um, having lived through the depression and the things that I witnessed through her behavior. And that's really what it is. So if we had a family member who had PTSD, let's say our mother was abused as a child, okay? Then we can swing, unfortunately, as people, obviously, right? We want the best for our kids. We don't want to repeat the patterns. I did not like that that happened to me. How can I make it better? We can swing all the way to the other end where then we become like a helicopter parent where we don't allow our child to make decisions on their own and to take what I would consider like 
normal child risks. Like, yeah, you want to walk across the street to play with a neighbor. I'll watch you out the window. You go, you go. No, we have to walk them over. We need to talk to the parent. You know, it can get to this point where then our children pick up on that, right? And if mom jumps every time there a, a car door slams or music comes on that's really loud, or I don't know, any, you know, we can, children notice and realize more than we would like to admit that they do. We think we can hide things from them. They pick up on it all. And so all of those behaviors and even the things we might say to them, like, oh, it's not safe to walk out at night or it's not safe to do this or we don't go to the grocery store by ourselves because you could get abducted. Like parents can say that because we're really, and it's not saying we shouldn't be careful in life, but all of those behaviors that are a result of our own PTSD can be passed down to our children because they learn just like they learn how to tie their shoes and how to pick out clothes and how to get themselves ready for the day. They also learn, you know, how to interact with people, what's safe, what's not safe. And they're looking for those cues. And unfortunately, we can give them PTSD-based ones. Yes. And now that we've talked a little bit about trauma, what kinds of trauma people have, what do you do about it? If you realize, okay, I went through a traumatic experience, I might have PTSD. What do I do? How do I get help for it? reach out, find a trauma-informed or trauma specialist. And I say that trauma-informed a lot because not everyone has access to a trauma specialist when it comes to therapy. And when I'm talking about therapy, I'm talking about, you know, licensed counselors, licensed social workers, licensed therapists, psychologists. We use a lot of different terms to describe the same thing. If they offer, uh, you know, one-on-one therapy for you, that's what I'm talking about. Reach out to someone who is either a trauma specialist or understands trauma. Because I wouldn't call myself even like a trauma specialist. Maybe after writing this book, I guess I could say it. But I I don't do EMDR and I don't do like trauma and uh, trauma focused CBT. Those aren't pra- things that I practice. But I am trauma informed. I understand it. I know how it's going to reveal itself in tools that we can use. So reaching out is key, and working on it with a therapist to talk it through. One thing that's super helpful for people is like putting together a trauma timeline, like when something started, when something stopped. If we've had multiple traumas, this can help us kind of try to make sense of it. And don't think that you have to know, oh, this happened on this date. And this it's it's a working living document that we're trying to make sense of because the thing about trauma memories and trauma as a whole is it can feel very scrambled and out of control. And being able to kind of organize it and place it on a timeline can be very healing and very reassuring. Um, And even for those of us who've maybe had one traumatic event, we can still track symptoms and what happened and how we felt and what's going on. And it can just be very, very helpful. But I do want to take it one step further. So talk therapy is what I'm I'm talking about right now is just going in to see someone, talking it through. And what we call in the therapy world, we always say processing it. People are like, what does that mean? Processing is really talking it through until there's no emotional charge left behind it. Meaning I can talk about, uh, for instance, like I lost my father when I was 24 and I, I've been in therapy forever and talked about that a lot. And sure, grief is weird and it could pop back up, but I can talk about it in as much detail as you might request. And I, I'm not gonna lose myself. I'm not gonna cry and not be able to get myself together. Um, there's no emotional charge anymore. So that's what we're looking for. But I do wanna just quickly, Amy, sorry. I feel like I, I could just talk forever, but... There are other treatment modalities if talk therapy doesn't work for you. In my research, I found that, you know, over, it's like 60% of people don't find assistance from just talk therapy. So it's, I'd almost just say like, it's like 50-50, right? 50% of people will find that to be enough. 50% won't. And if you're one of those that it doesn't, don't think that means that you can't get better. That means that we just need something different. Like uh, I briefly mentioned EMDR, but that's, 
It sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's very effective. Um, it's eye movement. Essentially, we're trying to give our brain another chance to process by getting our eyes to move left to right. It's almost think of like REM sleep and that processing that happens when we sleep. We're trying to like instigate that and I'm oversimplifying it, but that's roughly what it is. There's also movement-based therapies, things like somatic experiencing. And um, there's even uh, vagus nerve stimulation, which is a non-therapeutic. It's like you go in to see a neurologist and um, the vagus nerve is known to help uh, uh, soothe our system. Remember, we're talking about calming our system down. So there's a lot of other treatments out there. Talk therapy is usually the first one I would tell people to try and then you know potentially get referrals from that if, if that's not enough. What about if somebody can't see a talk therapist, they don't have insurance, can't afford it, or maybe they're seeing someone, but they're looking for strategies that they can do on their own? What are other things that you would recommend? Journaling is the one that my audience hears me talk about the most, and I'm just a huge believer in it. Start jotting down. And if, if you're like, you're not a writer and you're like, I can't sit down and be like, dear diary, today I did. Blah. It doesn't have to be like that. Just give yourself five minutes, either at the beginning of your day if you're a morning person or at the end of the day if you're like me and you're not a morning person and do two things that you're grateful for, two things you're working on, and two things you're looking forward to. What our goal with that is, is really just to try to get you to take time to tap in a little bit. Because I know everybody wants like, I want it fixed right now. But if we've been disconnected because of trauma, if we're feeling overwhelmed, we just have to start recognizing that. And I think journaling is a great place to start. If you're you love journaling and you don't mind writing about your day, write about it as much as you want. You can write letters to people you're angry with that you never send. Think of journaling as just a way to kind of get that stuff out of your head so that you don't have to worry, think about it anymore. It's like processing it out on paper. That's a great tool. If you start to feel really um, dysregulated or kind of just overwhelmed in your body, like we've all kind of felt that where maybe your heart feels like it's really racing, you got sweaty palms, just feel very agitated, full body shakes, give our system a chance to release that energy. It's almost like when we're put into that stress response, that fight flight, our body's cueing us up to take action. But when it's trauma-based, what action are we supposed to take? I can't run away from something that happened 10 years ago, but I can give my, my nervous system that release by shaking. And when I say shake, do it in a place, you're gonna look silly. It's okay, we all look silly. But we're shaking out like a dog from like nose to tail, like the whole body. Give yourself a shake and you will feel that relief and that release. Um, and then my final tip would be talk to people about it. We all have friends. If you have friends that are understanding and supportive, obviously still ask them about their days and you know this back and forth is important, but getting that support and having a safe place to talk about like, yeah, I've been trying to process through, you know, I don't know, when my dad was an alcoholic and it was very tumultuous growing up, you know, having someone we can actually just talk to about that can be really, really helpful. I love that you said all of that. And uh, I agree with the exact things you said. Mm -hmm. We know that trauma affects our brains and our bodies and having some relaxation skills. I've never heard of the one of just shake out like a dog. So I like oh, that. Yeah, try it. Let me know. It's like I will. life changing for me. <laughs> So we usually talk about breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation, those things, but shaking out sounds even more fun. <laughs> and, and I'm glad that you said to talk to somebody because for a lot of us, we hold things in. It's a secret and we're trying to deal with it on our own and it comes out in some strange ways. So knowing that we have somebody trusted that we can tell something to helps us feel so much better. And to know that people are usually a lot more accepting and less judgmental than we might expect them to be. 
100%. I think a lot of times we just have to give people an opportunity to help us. I always tell people, I'm like, one thing I hear the most, I've been on YouTube and online for over 10 years now. All the time I get messages about how do I help my mother, friend, sister, brother, uncle, aunt, person I work with, how do I help them with this? So people, I, I mean, I believe in the good in people. And I think most people do want to help and support. We just have to give them an opportunity to do it. So what is your tip for somebody? If somebody listening has a loved one in their life and they think, okay, this person probably has PTSD, what do I do? How do I help them? Just check in. That's the best thing you can do is just be there. And, it, and when I say check in, I don't mean that you need to drill them with questions of like, how are you doing and what's going on? It's just, hey, how are you? Let me tell you about my day. This is what I'm going through. What happened in your day? Just those check-ins and even offering just to come over. Hey, I was going to pick up some Chinese food. Can I just come over? A lot of people just want someone to be there. We don't know what to say. We might not even know yet how to ask for help, but having someone who's checking in and who's just showing up to like watch Netflix and eat takeout, that can be all we need. And I think that's the best way we can support. And then as kind of a side note of that is if they are looking, if they say something like, yeah, I am thinking about going to therapy, we can support that. Hey, I'm happy to help you look or I can ask around without letting people know who, like to find a name or do you need me to drive you to that appointment? Or I can help pay for the copay or whatever we're able to do, we can support. And I think that just, you know, being a resource and checking in is, is really, you know, is what they need the most. And I always encourage people, if you don't know where to find a therapist or you don't know how to get started getting help, talk to your doctor. Your physician mm -hmm. can be a great place to start. And a lot of people don't talk to doctors about mental health. And so they just, some doctors ask, but not all of them do. No, and a lot of times they have cards from clinicians. I can't tell you how many times I've gone in to see my own doctors, whether it's even my dentist, my regular doctor, my OBGYN. And when they find out what I do, they're like, oh, would you leave your card with us? We're always looking for referrals. So they might have this great resource of people locally that they can offer you, you know, their phone number, emails, and you can check them out. So then last question for you. I get lots of people who ask me, is there a medication that can help? And your research, what have you uncovered in terms of what helps with PTSD? It, it it depends on the person. And again, I'm not a doctor, right? But I always, if, this is what I always tell people, if you're drowning in the symptoms, if you are struggling to do any of these things because the hypervigilance and uh, the maybe the depression, the anxiety, the whatever is so overwhelming, you can't focus, medication is an option and you should see a psychiatrist. And usually when it comes to PTSD or things like that, they're going to most likely first line recommend an SSRI or SNRI, otherwise known as an antidepressant. And we find that medication alone is not enough. I know people want like a quick fix and we think, oh, I just want to take a pill and make it better. But I'm here to tell you, that's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken bone. We really want to treat the root, which is healing from the trauma so that the medication isn't necessary. I see medication as like a life raft, right? We're drowning the symptoms. Let's get that tube around our waist or even around our, under our armpits to hold us above water so we can do the work and paddle back to shore so that then we don't need, then we can take that tube off. And so thinking of it that way and seeing it as a whole treatment, I think is, is the best. And I know I wish there was a magic pill. Trust me, if there was... I would be all for it. But really, unfortunately, the best way out is through it. Like I I left a little kind of like an Easter egg in my book. I don't know if anybody knows this little ad. It was like a little ditty we would sing as kids, but it's like going on a bear hunt. Do you know that? Going on a yes. bear hunt. Mm -hmm. And I'm not scared, you know, and you can't go around it. You can't go over it. You got to go through it. And that's unfortunately the treatment in, in when it comes to trauma work. But trust me when I tell you it will be worth it and you can move through it. 
Definitely. And I'm so glad that you wrote this book. I hope all of our listeners go check it out because I know you're going to help a lot of people. So and I'll send people to your YouTube page as well. you got over a million people who are following you already over there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously what you're doing is really helping a lot of people. So Katie, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is a part of the show where I break down my guest strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Katie's strategies that I really liked and how using them might help you grow mentally stronger too. Number one, assess your symptoms. Katie talked about the variety of symptoms that can stem from trauma. That's important because while one person might be irritable and have trouble sleeping, someone else might act out in a self-destructive way. Sometimes the symptoms are obvious, especially when they occur right after a traumatic experience. But at other times, you might not really notice them. For example, if you were abused as a child, you might be really jumpy or what we call hypervigilant. But because you've always been that way, you might not connect it to the fact that it stems from trauma. So it's important to consider whether you have any symptoms of PTSD or whether you've endured a traumatic event that may have left some deep scars it's important to address those emotional wounds so that you can start to heal from them. Number two, talk to someone. Quite often I hear people say, talking about what happened isn't going to help me. But talk therapy can reduce the symptoms of PTSD in many people. And there's more than one type of therapy that can help. Katie gave a quick preview of some of those types of therapy like EMDR and trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy. She also made it clear, however, that if you can't see a therapist, you might still find it helpful to talk to someone, like a friend or maybe even a crisis counselor. Over the years that I've worked as a therapist, I've had so many people tell me that they experience a huge sense of relief once they tell someone what they've been through. And number three, create a daily journaling habit. A lot of our guests on this show have talked about how helpful it is to write in a journal. Of course, though, most of us don't know what to write or how to get started. So I love that Katie had a clear suggestion to write down two things that you're grateful for, two things you're working on, and two things you look forward to. That's a simple, quick, and easy thing that we can all do. And it seems like a simple habit that you could keep up with on a regular basis. It doesn't feel too overwhelming, and I have no doubt that it will help you grow mentally stronger. So those are three of Katie's strategies that I highly recommend. Assess your symptoms of possible PTSD, talk to someone, and write in a journal. Oh yeah, I'm also going to try that one other suggestion she had, shaking it out when you feel stressed. I'm always looking for those little helpful strategies that we can use at a moment's notice. If you want to learn more about how trauma affects us and what to do about it, check out Katie's book, Traumatized. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.